we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Have doctors regressed morally back to ancient Greece where unsuitable infants were left to die? Ever since the Supreme Court opinion in Roe v. Wade, making privacy, which included abortion, a federal constitutional right, the right to life debate has come and gone out of the public eye. At this point, most people who paid attention to the Roe opinion knew it wasn't based on anything in the Constitution. It was more of a sociological and cultural decision than a legal one. A couple of years ago, New York's Catholic Democratic governor had the World Trade Center in lights to celebrate its abortion-on-demand until the day of birth law. This law was framed as empowering women through guaranteeing reproductive health, Call it what it is, infanticide. This and eight other similar state laws were largely ignored as merely codifying Roe v. Wade. But the state of Virginia's pediatrician, former governor's ghoulish advocacy for abortion until the delivery of the infant was draw-dropping as he explained that killing the infant after birth was allowed. In California, minors can obtain abortions without parental consent. The normalization of the intentional killing of human beings has weaved its way into our culture. Life was not only cheap for the unborn, but for other vulnerable or unwanted persons such as the elderly. Fortunately for unborn children, the recent Supreme Court case, Dobbs v. Jackson, brought the abortion debate into the forefront. The pro-Roe crowd went so far as to surround the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices. The media could not continue to ignore the large number of people participating in marches for life. More and more people publicly admitted that aborting a baby is not the solution for an unplanned pregnancy. I'm going to discuss all of this and much, much more with today's guest. Brian Johnston is the Western Director of the National Right to Life Committee and Chairman of the California Pro-Life Council. Author and lecturer, he has served as a public advocate in many capacities, as California Commissioner on the Aging, on the board of the National Legal Center for the Medically Dependent, as a film producer and commentator. He has appeared on many programs, including PBS NewsHour, Fox News, NBC Nightly News, and many other programs. Mr. Johnson is also the host of the syndicated radio program, Life Matters with Brian Johnston. He recently authored, really a wonderful book, The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. Welcome to the show, Mr. Johnston. Well, thank you, doctor. I am always honored to speak with you because you're one of the good doctors. (laughs) 
that's really what's at stake. And thank you for that that kind introduction. And you've made some kind comments about the book. I'm going to talk about the three decisions now, as you have just outlined, that in 1973, on January 22nd, there were actually two conjoined decisions that came down from the court. And the first was Roe, but it was joined with Doe v. Bolton. Roe dealt with the laws of Texas, Doe v. Bolton with the laws of Georgia. Unfortunately, in the pop media, Doe gets ignored. And even in the legal circles, they've been conjoined. And so sometimes the two decisions are referred to as the Roe regime or the Roe regimen. But you need to understand this, and we're going to spend a little time, and I hope to play a quote directly from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where she agrees with me, that Roe doesn't do what the media has told you it does. Roe explicitly lays out lots of reasons that there should be abortion, and it's exhaustive. I don't have time, but you've heard all the arguments. What about overpopulation? What if she, she can't handle the baby, you know, a two-year-old running around? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What about global warming? <laughs> Everything's in there. The kitchen sink is in Roe v. Wade. But then there's a very small little statement that, Abortion, well, it said that she should be free to ask. So she is free to ask for an abortion. But it's the doctor's decision. And that's stated in row a couple of places. That's been glossed over by the pop media. Most people now realize it's a place that I do appreciate Donald Trump. Whatever else you think of him, he has got people to re-examine the media, that they are, in fact, liars. They distort and they have a political agenda. And so it's important to not take a media view, but to actually look at the decision. So very quickly, I want to look at those two decisions. As you said, I wrote the book that, that compares and contrasts and analyzes. And then we'll talk about Dobbs at the end, how significant it is. But even the Dobbs decision, the media has lied to you about what it does. So it's important if you care about medical ethics, if you care about protecting innocent lives, it's important to know the actual content of the decisions. So with that, shall we go into Roe v. Wade? Yes, indeed. Start right off with that. And just so people know, abortion has been talked about in America for years. I mean, since the 1800s and it's come and gone and it's interesting that the AMA was against abortion when midwives and regular private people were doing abortions, and it was a way to establish doctors as morally superior to these commoners who were sitting there doing abortions. And so suddenly, 100 years later, AMA is completely on board. So abortion has a long, long history. Yes. And so what Roe v. Wade does, there were many people who filed amicus briefs, which is very common, and all of the feminist groups you can think of, and even more, threw in reasons why we need to have abortion law. And the justice, this, this was written by Justice Blackman, 
and concurred with other justices, but he wrote it. And then so was Doe v. Bolton. So very quickly, it's implied that, well, this would be really good because in the first trimester, you know, we don't know. I don't know when life begins. That's one of his assertions. So I can't go around protecting life if I don't know when it begins. And that's he, that's one of his assertions in Roe v. Wade. But he goes on from there. And basically, if you want to understand Roe v. Wade and its companion, Doe v. Bolton, believe it or not, what happened in the O.J. Simpson trial, and it's a very common courtroom thing, and that is, before we talk about the crime, before we talk about the crime, you have to know all of the factors going in. You ha- and this is what's known rhetorically and in legal circles as the prolepsis. And it's where you say, look, before you can make a decision, I have to tell you, and we know this from, from what was going on in, it was months in OJ, literally for months. Oh, well, what about the guy hitting golf balls? There was someone else there. There's shoe prints here. Oh, there, we can't find the weapon. Oh, but wait a second. There is these blood stains. Oh, but what about the glove? If it does not fit, you must acquit. Before they even got to whether or not he himself was the issue, you have to look at all these extraneous factors. And that's what's known as a prolepsis. It's very common, those who know Shakespeare. That's what happened with the killing of Julius Caesar. And Mark Antony starts his famous speech. Friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm not here to praise Caesar, but to bury him. The evil that men do live after him. The good is often interred with their bones. And he continues to say how good Caesar is. <laughs> and he can, he, the rest of the speech is actually saying Caesar was a great man. And his prolepsis was, no, 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 there's all this. And Brutus was an honorable man. And it was designed to confuse the listener. And that's what Roe v. Wade is. It's also it's the kitchen sink. It's all these factors. And so he throws them in. But in there, and I want to read to you something that was very alarming to real feminists. Because real feminists, as you know, doctor, they liked it when it wasn't doctor. They like it if they can go to a friend and say, hey, would you just, do you have a coat hanger? Would you kill my baby? I don't want to go to the doctor. That is what feminists live for, and that's what they assert. They they still want that. Roe v. Wade did not give it to them. And let me read to you from the Roe decision. And this is from Roe v. Wade, line 153. Appellate and some Amici argue that the woman's right is absolute and that she is entitled to terminate her pregnancy at whatever time, in whatever way, and for whatever reason she alone chooses. With this, we do not agree. That was Justice Blackman in Roe v. Wade. He was explicit. No, you can't have an abortion any way you want. Later, as you know, he used privacy. But this is what he says at Roe v. Wade, line 154. The privacy right involved cannot be said to be absolute. In fact, it is not clear to us that the claim asserted by some that one has an unlimited right to do with one's body as one pleases 
bears a close relationship to the right of privacy previously articulated in the court's decisions. The court has refused to recognize an unlimited right of this kind in the past. And we already know that in the law, you can't do whatever you want with your body. You can't go down to the Golden Gate Bridge and throw yourself off. You actually are breaking the law. You're a danger to yourself or others. It's against the law for you to jump from a 10-story building because because it's, you know, uh, the the reason it's against the law is not to keep the sidewalks clean. The reason it's against the law is you're about to endanger the life of someone. You can't do with your body whatever you want. You are part of a larger society, and that's what Blackman said. And then finally, regarding this, and this is in Roe v. Wade. This is still Roe v. Wade. We haven't gotten to Doe yet. In Roe at line 163, the attending physician, in consultation with his patient, is free to determine without regulation by the state that in his medical judgment, the patient's pregnancy should be terminated. If that decision is reached, again, by the doctor, the judgment may be effectuated by an abortion free of interference from the state. Now, that's in Roe v. Wade, where it's explicit. It's a doctor's decision. And finally, at 164, it says, up to these points, the decision primarily is a medical decision and basic responsibility for it must rest with the physician, close quote. That's from Roe v. Wade at 164. And Roe v. Wade itself has set up that this is a doctor's decision. The woman can only ask, but she has to get permission. And right now I have a quick quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg years later talking about reproductive rights and complaining about this. This is what Ruth Ginsburg said, that it's not a right that was given to women. It was only given to doctors to do what they want. This is what she said. Another feature of Roe is Roe really isn't about the woman's choice, is it? It's about the doctor's freedom to practice his profession as he thinks best. It wasn't woman-centered. It was physician-centered. So that is the most notorious, literally that's her name, the notorious <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's a radical feminist. She said, no, Roe v. Wade, in essence, gave doctors the right to kill babies, but we feminists wanted it personally. And so we're still upset. The feminists were still upset. And even though the Casey decision, which came later, was hoping to change things, that just reinforced that it was up to the doctor alone. That's not talked about by the pop media. They want you to think women already have the right to kill their baby anytime they want. They're trying to snowball the culture into accepting that. But of course, and this is in Blackman's mind, we can't have women going around killing babies. What a bloody mess. The whole co- Anytime, anywhere you want? What are you talking about? This has got to be done by doctors. But in so doing, he had to dismiss the Hippocratic Oath. Because not only did every state have a law against the killing of human babies, every state had the law against the doctors killing any human being. That was against the law until January 22nd, 73. That's what was changed. Medicine was unleashed to now be the professional killers in direct violation 
direct violation of the Hippocratic Oath. It's the antithesis. It was the, if you'll excuse my Latin, the transmogrification of medicine. What that means, changed into a monster. Medicine no longer has the ethics it had before January 22nd, 73. And people wonder what's going on. Why are they letting people die of COVID? We don't understand. Why are they giving us wrong prescriptions intentionally? We don't understand. Why are they assaulting little girls who are confused and don't tell their parents? And they're, they're cutting off their mammary glands, and they can't fix that. And they're using med. What is going on with medicine? Medicine. Well, that, that is a big question. And we're going to explore that when we come back for the second segment and we start to talk about doe this whole thing of doctors being turned into killers it may sound radical but it's not they're changing things and defining death at the end of life and making it easier to call someone dead old folks as we know from covid were basically bumped off in the nursing homes so this culture of death is running rampant in this country. And as Mr. Johnson explained, tracing it back to 1973 and giving doctors the go-ahead to kill the youngest human beings certainly started us on a path I hate to see us go down. So I don't even know if... I said hello to all the listeners at the beginning of the program. This topic is, I don't know, it arouses so much passion in me. So welcome, everybody, to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. I'm just so glad you're listening. You know we have the free apps on Apple, Android, and Alexa. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 with an encore at 11 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. All shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. And these episodes are on lots of networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeart. So make it easy. Bookmark AmericaOutloud.com forward slash Pulse. Mondays, this is, well, to me, one of the best parts about the show, that it's a different person every day. Mondays with me, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays with concerned doctors, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays with Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Outloud. Thursdays with Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays with Dr. Harvey Reich. We have also Nurses Out Loud on Mondays. So I've got a lot of medicine out there for you, our mixture of politics and medicine. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. 
Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. So back to the show. Now, before we left, we were talking about Roe, which is what we always hear about in the news. But I'd like to hear more about Doe, Doe v. Bolton, that nobody ever talks about. But it was the twin case. That's right. So we're free to dive into Doe. Remember, they were conjoined. And most of the time when you're talking to lawyers and they say Roe did this and Roe did that, they're putting Roe together with Doe. And so, as I said, it's referred to as the Roe regime, the Roe regimen. And it is very radical. It specifically, as we heard from Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, it didn't give women what they wanted but it did give them unlimited abortion through the medical industry. That created a terrible situation for medicine because there's still a few doctors who love the oath. And there's a whole chapter as to why the oath defines Western civilization. Very quickly, if you want to know why it does, before there was a Hippocratic Oath, and I'm a linguistic anthropologist. My undergraduate degree was comparative languages. But before society had an oath, if you went to the doctor, you could go to the doctor and they knew everything about herbs. They knew all about the body. They were the person in the village you went to to help you. But you never really knew if they were going to give you a medicine, was it to help you? Maybe you were going to pay them a chicken. Here's a chicken. I need help. My my, I I need some. I don't know what to do. No one knows. You know. But maybe the next door neighbor has offered them a goat, because the next door neighbor covets your property, your hut, and your wife, and wants you out of the way. There's no ethical prevention. And in primitive societies, go ahead, you can study up on this. But the witch doctor, I have actually been in KwaZulu-Natal. I met witch doctors. And in South Africa, this is because of the changes in South Africa, the South African government funds witch doctors now at the same rate that they fund Western-type doctors. They will pay witch doctors. And when I was there, the reason <laughs> things were getting strange a witch doctor's formula for curing AIDS. AIDS was curing, killing people all over. It was terrible curse in South Africa. And they realized this is out of control. And so they were adopting a measure to legalize 
assisted suicide, euthanasia to get rid of AIDS patients. But the reason there was so much AIDS in South Africa in particular is that in witch doctory, the cure for AIDS, they would tell the person, oh, you need to go and have sex with the virgin. That'll cure your AIDS. So witch doctory is complete madness. But before there was a Hippocratic Oath adopted by the Greeks first, and then with the introduction of Christianity in Roman culture, it was accepted whole cloth as this is an ethical way to do things. This is why we must live in society. We must protect those who are vulnerable. But before that, if you were sick, you could not trust the doctor. And so it's a great gift to society. The Hippocratic Oath, you may not realize it. It may not have ever been talked about when you went to school. It's an incredible gift of Western civilization, and it's been taken away. And very few people understand that. So this is a very, very precious gift. And what Doe v. Bolton specifically said is doctors will no longer be held to the Hippocratic Oath. It's old and irrelevant. This is important. And we must be sure that a doctor never, ever work under the cloud of possible prosecution. That's a quote from Doe v. Bolton. That a doctor never, so a doctor is free to follow his own judgment. The very famous quote, and you can look this up, but it is referred to in both row, but it's actually explicit in Doe v. Bolton. It said that ultimately, while it talks about first trimester and a second trimester, the hard cases, the ultimate decision should be based on the life and health of the patient, the mother, and the health it then defines. This could be physical health, emotional health, psychological health, sociological health, whatever the physician deems appropriate, that that is the same as the life of the mother. So using weasel language, and by the way, National Right to Life believes that there should be a life of the mother. There is, you know, ectopic pregnancy. There's certain things. It is possible for a situation that the mother's life is in danger, but they're very, very rare. The language of Roe and Doe says, well, the doctor can make up any reason, a psychological. And by the way, he doesn't have to write it down at the abortion. He doesn't have to say, okay, well, I'm doing this abortion because I think da-da-da. He is free, according to his judgment, and you just heard from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's entirely licensing doctors to kill. It does not license women to make their own decisions. Again, realize that the media lies to you and misrepresents culture because they want you to go along with them. So Doe is hugely significant, hugely significant. And when we talk about the overturn of Roe, you need to understand it actually doesn't. And when we talk about the Dobbs decision, which came down last year, it's very fresh. The Dobbs decision, as you know, came down in 22, on June 24th of 2022, almost 50 years. And so what you need to understand is that Dobbs basically says, and, and we'll go into excruciating detail, but it says 
There is no right to an abortion. Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. We're really, really sorry we did that. It's not the role of the court to write laws. That's the role of legislatures. We're sorry we were wrong. That's where it starts. But what it did write and was the law for 50 years is that we're giving doctors the authority to determine when abortions are done. We're not, we're taking it away from any law. There'll be no laws in any of the 50 states, though all 50 states had such laws. So the Supreme Court overrode the laws of all 50 states, wrote up their own laws, and at its heart, as Ruth Ginsburg told you, at its heart, it said, doctors can make their own rules about killing and how they use medicine. That's hugely significant, and that's the net effect of Doe. And the reason is he did not, there's many, I, I have a chapter in there, black men wanted to be a doctor when he grew up. He actually says that. Mm. And he went to the Mayo Clinic, and at the Mayo Clinic, he was their counsel for many years before he ever went on the bench. So he, he loved the medical profession, but he had gone into the law, and he considered himself the expert on the medical profession. And that's the reason that Berger let him write it. Well, you're Mr. Medicine, so you can write this decision. And clearly, he did not understand the incredible significance of the Hippocratic Oath and was willing to throw it out so that we could have progressive laws on abortion. But the way it did it is by destroying medical ethics. So that's the significance of Doe, and it must be understood because we're still trying to bring it back. And I think we are with, with what you're doing, doctor, and I'm so glad to know, because Dr. McCullough, I think, is amazing. I've heard him and all of the doctors you have. Good doctors have never abandoned good medicine. Well, the thing that you, when you bring up this idea of abandoning the oath of Hippocrates, it's something that a lot of doctors don't even think about how you chip away at something and say, oh, that's just one thing. Oh, we still have our privacy. But then you look year to year to year, one more thing gets chipped away. The government made sure that there's certainly no more patient doctor confidentiality. That's out the window with electronic medical records. I mean, maybe you'll never write anything down, but of course, in the office, you got to write that you had a visit with the patient. It can't just be blank. And the doctors coming out now, many schools don't even take the oath of Hippocrates when, when they finish school. So it's fading, and the way these things happen, and we all know how it is, it's kind of bit by bit, that old expression, boiling a frog, where we don't know what's happening. And the next thing you know, you've you've become a killer. And that's not what a doctor is supposed to be. And people just get used to a culture of death. Life is cheap. And people just don't pay much attention anymore. And it, and it really saddens me that on one hand, look at laws where it's a crime to kill a pregnant woman. It's a double murder. But then, interestingly, of course, all these laws have Section B, this shall not apply to a doctor performing an abortion. Yeah. So they've admitted that a fetus is a human life, 
but only for the purposes of a crime of murder. So it's it's strange what's happened, strange and bad. That's right. And programs like yours point that out. We need the public equipped to understand the gift that we were given as Americans. I'm the son of immigrants. My folks came here from Ireland after World War II. They came here so that I could be an American, so that we can enjoy the fruits of freedom. And it's really the ultimate distillation. America is the distillation of Western civilization's desires. Western civilization is a great gift. It is under direct assault. The woke agenda, what's being taught to your children and in colleges, I know quite a few college students now, and it is being aggressively taught that Western civilization is evil and it must be thrown out. But they're not explaining what they're replacing it with. And what they're replacing it with is terrifying. So they'll lie. And Pete, you're seeing the fruit of it. You're seeing it all around you. And so it's important to understand the facts, to be equipped to give an answer. When people say, what's going on? Who should I vote for? What are, the, what, are these, what's these, what are these debates about? Be able to explain why it's important, that why women are women, why men are men. And the assault on the family is directly a Marxist idea. And I, I'm working on another book right now, doctor. The premise of Marxism, the premise is that abortion must be available to every woman throughout pregnancy, paid for for free, because... If a woman gets pregnant, according to Marx, Engels, and in particular Trotsky, Trotsky was eloquent on this. If a woman gets pregnant and she can't get out of it, she's now trapped. She needs the man to help provide. She is trapped. She's not free to participate in freedom, to do whatever. Ultimately, Marxism appeals to selfishness. You should do whatever you want. You should be free to make any decision you want, and they get people that way. What's your beef? You have a beef about what's going on? Yeah, well, you're on our side then. You should be free. We'll, we'll welcome you. Let's throw off restraint. Let's throw off the old ways in the government system. That's at the heart of Marx and at the heart of Marx. And Trotsky renounced Stalin. Because in 1922, when they took over Russia, they offered free abortions. And at that time, they were taken up on it. And it's estimated the average Russian woman had eight abortions. It was a form of birth control. And by 1935, Stalin realized, I think there's a world war coming. And we are, don't, we need soldiers and we're not we're below, below zero population growth. So Stalin took away free abortions. He, in fact, inverted it and paid women to have babies. Trotsky wrote a book based on that, that this betrayed the revolution because Stalin didn't understand. He was abandoning the principle of unlimited freedom for women, and he was sending women back to the patriarchy to build families again. This, And he left Russia. He wrote a book. He wrote it in English. You can find it. It's called The Revolution Betrayed, 1935. 
And it's and then he had to run away because Stalin had to hunt him down, and he was killed in Mexico City by a KGB agent, what we now call the KGB. So Trotsky, who was a true believer, had to repudiate Stalin on the issue of free abortions. That's how vital it is, and that's why you have anybody who who you look at in Congress now, AOC. Uh, uh, who's who's the the senator from Vermont? Uh, oh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Every you know they're way progressive, but I promise you, if you're a progressive, it is essential that you must have. Unli- it's not abortion for hard cases. They're not asking for abortion for hard cases. They want it as choice. No, I own that kid. I'm free to get rid of that kid because that's the basis of their worldview. That's the basis of the Marxist mindset, unlimited abortion. And when Marx and Engels said it, they said it first in the in Communist Manifesto, which was written in 1848. Their last book together it was right after it was pu- published in 1884. And Marx had just died. So he included all the notes from Marx, but Engels published it in 18. 18- 1884, and it reiterates unlimited abortion as an essential element to destroy the family because the family will compete with the state. Their goal is to make sure that you look to the state for everything, that the state is your benefactor and families are what are holding us back. That's old. That's that's patriarchy. That's old world traditions. Well, it's so, interesting that, you know, you talk about this and we have to look back at 1965, 1964 with the Great Society, what yeah. was drawing everyone into the government is your new daddy. And then suddenly we have all these people having children out of wedlock. And and it's it's interesting when you look at history it, it forces you to look and see what's happening in our culture right now. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the latest abortion case, the Dobbs v. Jackson, and what that did. A lot of people just say, oh, now there's no more abortions, Dobbs v. Jackson, but that's not what the case says. So we'll talk about that when we get back. Right now... I'm going to talk about Cofix RX. You know, I've talked about it before. This is a nasal spray that's main, made mainly with povidone iodine and it has xylitol. And these two things are known to be antiviral. There was a recent study just on xylitol alone was enough to stop the SARS virus, the virus that causes COVID. And This is something that's so easy to use. Just think about it. Most of us get sick by inhaling viruses through our noses. If you can stop the virus when it's incubating in those first few days, you can reduce or sometimes eliminate the impact of the viral invasion. It's, It's a numbers game. You know, numbers matter. And if you can cut those viruses down to the thousands instead of the millions, you just might not get sick. So 
One of the wonderful things I like about Cofix Rx is one, Dr. McCulloch has been advocating for this iodine nasal spray ever since the whole COVID thing came out. The formulation was made by American doctors. The drug is made in America. And these days with China having such control over our drug supply, it's nice to have something that's actually made in America. So give it a try. There's a little button on our webpage and you push it on Cofix RX. Just highlight that. You can read more about it. You can purchase it there or multiple uh, drugstores. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Back to our program. So we've been going through some of the cases and some of the history, some of the political aspects of abortion. Now we're going to talk about the recent case Dobbs v. Jackson. Go for it, Mr. Johnson. Yeah, so Dobbs, very significant. And as you know, when there was the hint that they were going to overturn Roe, that was designed to get the media and you all upset. Oh, women would be, women will be dying in the streets. It's terrible. There'll be no more abortions anymore. That is not what came out of Dobbs. In fact, if you examine Dobbs, it's essentially saying they're sorry. Dobbs said in 1973 in Roe and Doe, but basically Roe, we decided to overturn the laws of all 50 states, but we're not lawmakers. The job of the courts is not to make laws, and yet we did that. We superimposed it on all the states, and that is huge. You know, you need to know that that's your job in a republic. That's a lawmaker's job to make laws. It's, the courts does not make laws. And specifically, it violated the rights of those lawmakers. You may not fully understand, but it is important to American history. It also violated the rights of the United States Senate. And this is something that people don't fully understand in the Constitution. Your U.S. senators do not represent human beings. That's right. The House of Representatives is by population, and it represents the people in their districts. 
your United States senator is a different form. It's an entirely different body of Congress, and it's what unites the states because each state gets two U.S. senators to represent that state. That is to say, the state is recognized as a freestanding entity. And in our Constitution, they said, okay, we have all these states, but we're going to unite. And that unification of the states, and this is important, and this is what was at stake on January 6th. The unification of the states said, it is the states that are represented in the Senate. And the Senate, and people are vaguely familiar because they know, oh, well, people don't elect the president. Remember that. People don't elect the president. It's the electoral college. And each state has electors that represent that state. And it's the electoral college, according to the Constitution, that declares so-and-so has won the electoral college vote. Typically, what the media is doing, and it's happened throughout history, they wait, and a lot of times they use polling, and maybe the polls haven't even closed. But ABC, NBC, CBS says, well, we've declared so-and-so is the new president. He's won. No, the media does not declare presidents. And more to the point, individual Americans do not elect the president. It's elected by each state's electoral college because we're United States. And so what happened in Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, I'm coming back to this, in Roe, the Supreme Court said, well, we're going to make up laws and we're going to take the authority of the Senate because only the U.S., the House of Representatives cannot pass laws that they can pass laws that affect individuals in the states, the human beings. But the House of Representatives cannot pass laws that control the states. It has to be also authorized by the United States Senate. The Senate is the unique element in our republic that empowers the states to be joined. And if you look, I'm- Let let me just interrupt there to let people know. Now, until the 17th Amendment, the states actually appointed the senators. So direct election by the people didn't happen until the 17th Amendment. That's right. Just to throw that in there. What a pleasure, Dr. What a pleasure to talk to someone who's, who reads and reads the Constitution. So this Constitution is so sacred and important for our nation's survival. And it's being robbed and misrepresented daily when you turn on the news. But it's an ongoing principle. But in 73, when the court did what it did, it took to itself the authority that actually only belongs to the United States Senate, that is to override the laws of all the states. That is only the purview of the United States Senate. And the court took that on. And so they they don't exhaust this, but they did apologize that they should not be writing laws. This is what Dobbs said. Hey, we're sorry. We shouldn't have done this. But now to clarify what, what Dr. Maryland just said, they didn't 
ban abortions. They didn't ban abortions in Dobbs. The Supreme Court said we were wrong to override all of the lawmakers and all of the states. That was a bad decision. Courts should not be pretending they're lawmakers and writing laws. And so they apologized, but they did not. And I emphasize this. They said there is no right to abortion under the Constitution. That was a statement in in Roe and Doe, but it's not there. So we're sorry for that. But it also didn't say we're banning abortions. It didn't say that. Not a single abortion was stopped. It said we're going to let things go back to where they were, were elected lawmakers. In fact, literally what it says, and, and here's the quote. It says, we return the authority to limit abortion to the people through their elected representatives. The court overrules the decisions. That's both Roe v. Wade and Casey, a later decision, which had just reaffirmed it, and returns authority to the people and their elected representatives. But what that means is your elected representatives have to now go and make any new laws. And many states have done that, but many have not, like California. <laughs> so many states, many states, but I want to go one step deeper and Dr. Marilyn is involved with me in Republican Party stuff in California. Many Republicans don't understand. But as you know, California passed last November a constitutional amendment for California that says there's an unlimited right to choice and reproductive rights. That's in the state constitution now. So you pro-lifers shut up. But you don't understand what that means. If there is a constitutional right to abortion, well, that's kind of what Roe v. Wade said, but we didn't shut up. And think about this. When you run for office and you're an elected representative, the Supreme Court says you now represent the people and you can regulate abortion. In California, your state legislators are not your only representatives. In fact, let me be very specific because we've been involved in this. Your local level, your sup county supervisors are elected by you to pass regulations in your county. If your county does it, reside in California, you have a right in California to own a car. That is a right to own a car. But I want to remind you, there's no duty for your county supervisors to buy you a car. So the right for you to own a car is quite different from what Planned Parenthood is saying and doing in many of these counties and cities and school boards because school boards are elected and they, in California specifically, have authority over the regulations of those schools. Planned Parenthood comes and says, we want to help your school. We want to put in a school-based health clinic and it's free or it's only going to be minor costs and we're going to help these kids. And if it comes up that they're going to be promoting abortion, they say, yeah, but that's a constitutional right, so we can't. Wait a second. You can talk about it all you want out there on the street and say what you want. The schools have no duty to pay you 
and to authorize you to come in and, and control kids, the school board decides what's taught in our schools. The city council decides how the city's money is going to be used. We don't have to give a grant to you people because this is a right. So they misrepresent using languages like rights and choice. Many Californians and even good Republicans and good people, they, they've actually called and told me, well, I, I can't do anything now. No, you can do what you've always done. Speak up. Talk about the objective facts. The facts are on our side. The rhetoric is on their side. So our job is to cut through the rhetoric. And just, at, I mean, I'll be honest with you. A woman has a right to her own body. And you know, well, that's the case in Nevada. Because in Nevada, a woman can sell the use of her body to people. It's called prostitution. And guess what? It's legal in Nevada. But... Let's get more clear on this. Even though it's legal in Nevada, it is up to the county to say, not in our county. And so the county in Nevada will say, okay, I'm part of Nevada. And apparently Nevada as a state has authorized prostitution because it's a woman's right to her body. Well, wait, wait a second. In our county, we're not going to have it. So the state can say they have it. But in our county, we're not setting up whorehouses, excuse my French, because of the authority they have. So when somebody says they have a constitutional right, make sure you're being more precise. That doesn't mean you have to give them whatever they want and that you have to approve of it. You know, it's interesting, you, you know, you bring this up and I just want to reiterate that old saying, all politics is local. And a lot of times people poo-poo and kind of ignore city council elections and school board elections. But I think the recent uh, rise of parents has shown us that you've got to get down to really the lowest common denominator in your town, in your city. And that's who you really have some control over. And that's who you might get a rise out of them. You know, writing a letter to your congressman, sometimes I feel like you might as well throw it in the trash. I get these canned responses, dear Mr. Singleton, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, so you actually read it. And um, but your city council person, they have little town halls and you might actually get somewhere. And I think the parents who started rising up over drag queen story hour and all this transgender stuff without parental permission um, has shown us that if we get local and get loud, we can get somewhere. That is exactly right. And if you look back, we're looking at an oppressive form of government because that's really what Marxism is. We have to, you, we're in a battle with Marxist ideology, even though they may not be quoting Marx. But when you study Marx, you realize, wait a second, they, in fact, I'll be honest with you, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself. I had just gotten done reading the final work by Marx and Engels, which is called The Rise of Private Property and the family. And that final book talks about the dismantling, why the family must be dismantled, and even even common law marriage. This is what they said. No, even common law marriage needs to be banned because that ends up creating a patriarchy. 
And then the next day, I'm reading a decision from Ruth Bader Ginsburg where she goes through the list. We have changed our laws so that common law, she went through the list, traditional marriage, religious marriage, common law marriage. We have redefined that. This was in the Opferberg case about gay marriage where she authorized gay marriage. But she said, no, all the rules are changed. And she was quoting from Marx and Engels, but she didn't say that's because Marx and Engels said it. She just said it because she's a practitioner of the revolution, the cultural revolution. Ideas have consequences, and that's what laws are. Laws are merely ideas that are enforced. I tell you, this, I can't believe that our hour's over, and we've learned so much, and I don't want people to be scared about the loss of the oath of Hippocrates. I'd like to give a quote from Dr. Mildred Jefferson, where she said, I became a physician in order to help save lives. I'm not willing to stand aside and allow the concept of expendable human lives to turn this great land of ours into just another exclusive reservation where only the perfect, the privileged, and the planned have the right to live. So there's a lot of doctors out there who live by those words, and that's what we have to remember. And those are the kind of doctors that you seek out for whether you're of childbearing age or not that uh, these are people who respect life from birth all the way till the last natural breath. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Johnston. We'll have to do this again. Yes. Well, Dr. Jefferson, I served, she, well, she lived, she was on the board of national and had been president. She went out of her way to befriend me, doctor. And I was so humbled by her, such a humble person. And she is an excellent role model, as are you, and as are all of the good doctors that are fighting. This is the fight for our civilization. We're literally fighting for civilization. Absolutely. Well, we're going to do this again. We have so much more to talk about. And I want to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. And as you know, we are always a beat ahead. And remember, we do have our feature where if you have questions right down there, kind of the bottom of the scroll of the show, you can send an email in. First names are fine. And you will get the answer from the host or the host guests. And, um, Hopefully, you can send some questions in. And I just want to let you know, whether you agree or have other opinions, share the show. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.